Well, good morning. Today we're going to hear from the Lord in Psalm chapter 90. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, please join me there. What an incredible blessing it is to be inside of the house of the Lord today. Not only that, but to be able to sing songs to King Jesus like what we just did. Behold the Lamb of God. My gracious, we can, we can go home after that. But we're not. Psalm chapter 90. The Word of God reads this way. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or you ever had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it has passed, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up, and in the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. May we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord be our God be upon us and establish their work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, we draw near to you this morning as a needy people. Father, I am I'm so grateful to be with this family once again. But Lord, it also brings me sheer terror to know that I have the responsibility to interpret the Word of God correctly. So I ask, Lord, that you help us to do the work of the diligent workman who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the Word of truth. So, Lord, help us to, to, to do this work. Lord, we ask that the Spirit does the work of enlightenment. Help us to understand this text, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are standing before me, Lord. May they hear with ears this morning that can hear the truth of the gospel that they may be able to go out into this lost and dying world, Lord, being sanctified, and then doing as what we just taught our little children, to evangelize the lost. Oh, Lord, we need your help today, and we ask these things through your Son's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there's a whole lot of y'all I don't know. Oh, I appreciate that, brother. So it has been seven years since we moved. It's been a long time since I've been here with you guys. But I am oh so thankful to be back. Many faces that I remember. Kind of wild to see our children sitting up here. My, one, my youngest was sitting up here with y'all. And just to... Crystal Marshall, I mean, how does this even happen, right? 
And then a few weeks ago, we were here last uh, to come visit, and I brought my oldest, Maverick, over to the youth building. And that one just blew my mind. As I'm walking into the youth building, just kind of looking around, thinking, what, what's happening right now? So I am incredibly grateful to be back here with you. I have been looking forward to this for a couple months since Brother Cody asked me to come and fill the pulpit for him. Uh, I've been praying for this morning, praying for you all, and I'm just, I'm excited. So enough about that. Let's go ahead and jump into our text this morning. My sermon this morning has been entitled, Enjoying God Forever. Enjoying God Forever. Satisfaction. The Rolling Stones sang about this in 1965. They look all around. They look for it in their possessions. They look for it in their pleasures. They look for it in the things that they are doing, but they can't get no satisfaction. It's not because they ain't trying. I mean, they tell us that they try, and they try, and they try, but they can't get no. Exactly. What exactly is satisfaction? That's really a driving force for us this morning. Well, according to that incredibly reliable website, Wikipedia, satisfaction can be defined as this. It can be seen as a mental state drawn from being at ease in one's situation, body, and mind. Being satisfied is accepting one's situation and is a form of joy and happiness. Now, I think that's a pretty solid definition of what satisfaction is. But I think for the Christian, we can actually take it just a little bit further, right? Well, for for the Christian, a real, genuine, true Christian, we find our satisfaction not in anything else, but in the Lord. That's where we find our true satisfaction. The very first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism goes like this. What is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, our end, our chief end is to glorify God. And then once we have glorified God, then enjoyment in the Lord Comes. Enjoyment really is also a form of satisfaction. Do you remember what Wikipedia tells us what satisfaction is? It's a form of joy. So when we are glorifying God, we will have joy in Him. We will be satisfied in Him. Do you see how that, how that works? It doesn't matter what our circumstances are as a Christian... It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter what our circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what's going on. We can truly have satisfaction in the Lord when we are glorifying Him. It has to work in that particular order. We glorify God, then we find satisfaction in Him. But Brian, I don't feel satisfied in God. Or maybe you're saying, yeah, I do have a little bit of satisfaction in the Lord, but really there just seems to be some discontentment with my soul. Maybe I'm just not quite as at ease as what I would like to be. I get that. That's not totally foreign to the Christian. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation and we've got some investigating to do to figure out what's going on. Where am I not satisfied? That's not necessarily the question I need to be trying to figure out, though. Rather, the question I need to be figuring out is, where am I not fulfilling my job in glorifying God? Because remember, the question was, what is the chief end of man? The result or the the answer is to glorify God and then to enjoy Him forever. It has to be in that particular order. So it's not where am I not satisfied, it is where am I not glorifying God. 
You see, beloved, we must understand that if I'm not doing my end of glorifying God, then my satisfaction, it will be lacking. So our question shouldn't be, where am I lacking satisfaction in the Lord? My satisfaction is in direct proportion to my glorifying God. So the question should be, where am I not glorifying God that will result in ultimate satisfaction? If I am lacking satisfaction in any area of my life, then a thorough examination of where I am performing my duties towards the Lord must be completed. Our text today is Psalm chapter 90, which we just read just a moment ago. It's going to help us to connect or make a connection, rather, between glorifying God and finding ultimate satisfaction in Him. In Psalm chapter 90, we find how our author really had this supernatural uh, satisfaction in the Lord despite his circumstances. Now, before we jump into Psalm chapter 90, we need to build a little bit of context to see exactly what was going on in, in the life of our author. Uh, Moses was actually the author of this particular chapter. It's the only chapter that is attributed to Moses. So by implication, this particular chapter in the book of Psalms is actually the longest chapter, or rather it is the oldest chapter that is in Psalms. So now we need to ask, well, when exactly during the life of Moses was it written? That's a good, good question. So we need to think back to the life of Moses. The first 40 years of Moses, he lived in luxury. The next 40 years of Moses' life, he lived as a shepherd. And the the final 40 years of Moses' life, he was leading millions of Hebrews in circles in the wilderness. So it was during that final 40 years when this particular psalm was written... We cannot be dogmatic on exactly when it was written, but I do think that we've got a couple of different uh, indications, as it were, to figure out exactly when Psalm 90 was written. But before we get there, we need to ask the question of why was the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness? Well, God was punishing the Israelites because of their lack of satisfaction in Him. The, The Israelites were finding more satisfaction in what they had in Egypt instead of the one who was rescuing them from Egypt. The Israelites refused to believe God's word and they believed only what their eyes could see and what their ears could hear. Therefore, God made them wander in the desert for an entire generation and waited until that generation had finally died out. And that included two very special people to Moses. Now, he loved the Israelites. Those were his people. But the two very special people that I'm referring to was his brother And his sister, Miriam, died in the very beginning of Numbers chapter 20. And just 27 verses later, Moses' brother Aaron, the first high priest, he dies as well. Moses also saw the anger of God as he disobeyed God's word. When he did something with a rock, if you remember that, he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And now Moses is not even allowed to come into the promised land himself. This is the context of Psalm chapter 90. If you've been to a funeral before, which I would probably, if I was a betting man, but we're Baptists, we don't do that, right? If you've been to a funeral before, there's a likelihood that you guys have heard Psalm chapter 90 read. Because this is a somber, sobering kind of chapter that we have in the Bible. Moses led the people to the one who would provide bread from heaven, water from a rock, and salvation found on a pole... Moses interceded on behalf of these people, and now before his very eyes, he's seeing the discipline of God come upon all of these varying different people. Can you imagine the burden on Moses' shoulders as he, as he was writing this particular chapter? So, as we are reading this, 
while this was a difficult time for Moses, it is also quite enlightening to us as we can begin to see how and where we will find our ultimate satisfaction, that being in the Lord. And that's our goal today. Our goal is to be able to walk out of one of these four or five doors knowing how we can be able to have satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. So with all this in mind, we're going to examine this particular chapter this morning through three different headings. First, we see in verses 1 through 6, satisfaction in God's eternality. Satisfaction in God's eternality. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it had passed and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning... They are like the grass which grows up in the morning. It flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and it is, and it withers. Now there is an interesting contrast that's found in these six verses. Now, we do see the eternality of God, especially within verses 1 and 2. But then Moses compares the eternality of God with the brevity and the frailty of man found in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. It's really interesting to see how Moses takes these two different contrasts, but he brings a logical conclusion to our mind that is absolutely reassuring. Moses starts this contrast in verse number 2 by speaking of how long God has been. Or we could say that Moses is speaking of the eternal nature of God. He speaks of the mountains. Now where I'm from... Um, Well, I'm from here, but down south in South Florida, where we currently are living and have been now for seven years, um, those folks down there don't know anything about mountains. Now, we don't live any mountainous terrains here by no means, but all they know down there is just flatlands. Absolutely flat lands. So when Moses was writing this, he was kind of just looking all around to try to grasp the things that the people would have known. And he, he brings up this connection of the mountains. Now when we look at the mountains, we look at them and we're just mesmerized by them. They're, they're beautiful. They're, they're majestic. Our mouths really should hit the ground when we look at how large they are, how beautiful they are, and how long they've been on the earth. But a biblical worldview would help us to understand that the world was not created with these kinds of mountains. No, the flood destroyed the earth and that's how the world looks now because of the flood. So when Moses was writing this, that's why he only stuck on the mountains for half a moment and then he moved on to the next thing. He wrote this particular psalm about 3,500 years ago. So as he brings us now to the next part, he moves on from the mountains to the earth. And he's writing in the context of what he only had at that particular time. Now, we could take out our phones and get on the Google machine and be able to look at all kinds of space pictures of the earth. And it's a really beautiful uh, picture that we can find with the earth. Well, Moses wouldn't have had the Google machine at his fingertips. But he still brings our minds... To the earth. He, he, he starts with something big like the mountains, and then he makes it bigger with the earth. Think of the mountains. No, 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 no. we got to go bigger than that. Think of the earth. Think of the world. But what we skipped over in verse number 2 is what Moses says. He says, before the mountains were birthed by you, before the earth was brought forth, Before you formed the earth. He's bringing our minds now to the foundations of everything. Moses starts out with something huge like the mountains. And then he says, before you made this. And then he magnifies and he says, no, 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 no. Before you made the earth. 
And then he begins to talk to himself. He says, no, no, that's not grand enough. That's not big enough. From everlasting to everlasting. That's what he says. He says, Lord, you are from everlasting to everlasting. From the very beginning of the world to the very end... He says, you have been from everlasting to everlasting. But look at verse number 2 specifically. What does he say? Even from everlasting to everlasting, what are those last three words? You, say it with me, you are God. You are God. He's saying that before anything was created. He's saying that anything... Uh, was made. He's saying that from the beginning of time when there was no time all the way to the end of time when there will be no time, God has been in existence. He was God, He is God, and He will be God. Jesus actually attributes this to Himself. We see this written in the book of Revelation when He says that He is the Alpha and the... That's right. He is the beginning And He is the end. He has been from eternity past all the way to eternity future. Now, by a raise of hands, can anybody in here actually comprehend that? No? Didn't think so. Neither can I. Really, in many ways, this should boggle our minds. But also, at the exact same time, it really should bring us an immense amount of peace as we think about it. W.S. Plummer, a pastor from the 1800s, he wrote this particular quote from uh, one of his commentaries. He wrote, The intelligent Christian will not be offended at the mysteries in religion, but will rather adore God for them as well as be comforted by them. Beloved, we need not be challenged by the deep things of God. We we must be comforted by the deep things of God. They must bring us to Him, to to the throne of grace, in awe and in majesty. This is our God. That's from everlasting to everlasting. Then Moses turns the corner here and he begins to compare us now to God. In verse number 3, he actually... He says that uh, that is God who turns man to destruction. Uh, That's what the the, the New King James uses, destruction. A better way of understanding that is that God brings man back to dust. He turns man to dust. Out of the dust, God created man. And guess where we're going to end up? Back as the dust. So, almost comical... How Moses writes this, is it not? How he says, God is everlasting and you ain't. Verses 4, 5, and 6 is really just a rapid fire of strong contrast and examples. He, he says, Moses says that yesterday was a long day for us because we had a long day in the office. We had a long day out in the field. Mamas, you maybe had a long day with the babies. But in comparison, a yesterday to the Lord is like a thousand years to us. He really brings it to the magnificent scale, does he not? And then he clarifies it even further and he says, no, not a yesterday, but a watch in the night. Now, a watch was really just a three to four hour period. And this is what Moses is saying. A thousand years is nothing to the Lord God Almighty. But not only that, he speaks of how fast time moves. And boy, we know that, right? He brings up the example of a flood. Moments, moments in our life move fast, like a, a, a riverbank that has its waters overflowing, or a tsunami that's just rushing into the town to destroy everything. Moments move quickly like they are sleep, do they not? Me and Alan went out hunting this past week, and boy, we were running hard. Last night was probably the best night's sleep I've had in I couldn't tell you how long. I fell asleep on the couch at like 7.30. 
And then I woke up at 6, 6.30 along those lines to that terrible, awful sound. The alarm clock. Yeah, it's the worst thing in the world, right? But it felt like I had just went to sleep. That's like 10 hours or so. And it was, I just fell asleep. That's what he's saying. The time, is, the time is moving like how fast time moves. It's like a sleep. And then Moses compares us to the dew in the morning, which can help small sprigs of, of grass begin to grow, but then they're quickly withered away as the heat of the day begins. Here's the bottom line that Moses is trying to help us to see. We're not everlasting. This physical body here is not everlasting. The case has been made. The gavel has been brought down. We will die. We will be turned back to dust. So what do we do? Where do we go? Well, we go back to verse number 1. Look at it with me. Lord... You have been our dwelling place. You are our shelter. You are our refuge. You are our safe place. You are our rock. You are our strong foundation. All of our days have been placed sovereignly into your hands. And therefore, beloved, therefore, if those things are true, then we must cast all of our burdens upon this dwelling place. We must cast all of our anxieties onto this refuge. We who were cast down go to this particular shelter. We who are heavy laden, we go to this rock. For what purpose, beloved? Why do we go to him? Because all of our days are in his hands. And friends, that is comforting. Knowing and realizing that nothing, absolutely nothing happens outside of the sovereign purposes of God. Nothing happens outside of the sovereign will of our Lord. Realizing that even our days are numbered and the hairs upon our heads are numbered Where else do we go? We try so often, day in and day out, to find comfort and satisfaction in all kinds of other things. We must consistently be thirsting for the Lord. And that's what the author of Psalm 42 did. He spoke about this. Do you you remember Psalm 42? He says, Just as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him to help and countenance in my God. Beloved, where do you run in times of trouble? Where do you run? Where do you run when you've been diagnosed with a terminal disease? Where do you run when you're watching your loved ones waste away? Where do you go when life isn't panning out the way that you thought it was supposed to go? There's only one place to go. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Beloved, we go to our dwelling place. Jesus is our dwelling place. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Jesus is that dwelling place. Amen? Changing gears and moving on, we see in... Our next heading in verses 7 through 12, satisfaction in God's anger. Satisfaction in God's anger. Now, you didn't mishear me. We can have satisfaction in God's anger. We can. So just buckle up because we'll get there, all right? Verses 7 through 12 read this way. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so was your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, remember as we are reading this particular text, we're reading it through the lens and the eyes of Moses. That's what a Bible student is supposed to do. You don't bring the text into 2022. You bring your minds as to when it was written, what was going on, what was the context, what was the culture, why was he writing it. That's what we're doing. We're looking at Psalm 90 through that particular lens. So therefore, look at the personal plural pronouns as to what Moses is using here. He's including himself in. He says, we, us, our... He's including himself in with these Israelites. He's explaining that not only did the Israelites experience the terror of God, but so did he. He starts out by saying that we are, we are consumed by the anger of God. That's pretty strong language, is it not? Almost seems like he's exaggerating just a little bit. Now, we know a little bit about exaggeration, right? Pastor, we don't like the change here. All of us. None of us here. Everybody's talking about the changes around here. Okay. Who's everybody? Well, me, Brother Mark, Brother Bob. Okay, who, who else? Well, that's about it. So everybody, right? No, no, no. That's not what Moses here is doing. He's not exaggerating. There is a a legitimate fear that he has by being consumed. These people couldn't get away from the punishment of God, no matter how far they walked. And they walked for quite some time. They couldn't get away from it. So what was the natural response of the people? Terror. Verse 8, verse 8 speaks of Moses and how it was God who set all of their iniquities out in the open. Now friends, this is terrifying. This truly is. All of our secret sins that we are hiding, all, let me repeat that. All of our secret sins that we are hiding, they will be brought out. They will be brought out. It says the the light of his countenance, or we can say the brilliance of the holiness of God. It will expose even the most microscopic sin in our life. Jesus actually spoke about this in Luke chapter 8. He said, for nothing is secret that will be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Friends, every single sin that we ever commit or will ever commit will be found out. It will be brought before the light of everybody else that's sitting here or it will be brought out before the light as we are judged before the Lord God. With that thought, we must realize and understand that how we live right now It actually matters. How we live right now matters for eternity. We have to ensure that we, every time, like we, it was such a blessing this morning to be able to take time and to reflect as we read through Jeremiah. Time to confess our sins. What a blessing that is as we are drawing near to the throne of grace through the preaching of His Word. We need to come before Him with clean hands and a pure heart. 
Moses says because of how consumed they were. They, were, they could all be able to see his punishment. All of their, their days had passed away in God's wrath. It finished quickly like a sigh. All their days had nothing good in them. They could only talk about the terror that they had experienced. They could only talk about their sorrows and their tears and all of their hard work. Moses says that a good long life was 70 years, and if you were lucky, it was 80 years. And all of that was spent under the wrath of God, and then we die, and then we fly away. Is there anybody encouraged yet this morning? Where does the satisfaction come in? Because Brian, not feeling very satisfied yet. Remember, beloved, when we read the Old Testament, we have to read it like a Christian. So, therefore, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have repented of our sins and placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our trust, our full confidence in the life, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, those people are not consumed by God's anger. Those who are born again believers, they don't have to worry about the anger and the wrath of God. Why is that? Because it was all poured out upon Jesus Christ. For the Christian, there is no more wrath. There is no more anger. It was all absorbed by the Lord Jesus on the cross. Our sin was imputed to Him. It was all transferred to Jesus. All of our sin was given to Him. And He dealt with our sins on the cross at Calvary. He stood in our place as our substitute. Therefore, Christians, therefore, Born-again believers, there is no more need to be terrified. There is no more need to be sorrowful. Because you, you see, friends, we can be satisfied in God's anger because all of God's anger was poured out upon Jesus at Calvary. So therefore, turn your eyes upon Jesus. This brings us the ultimate satisfaction. The ultimate satisfaction that a man could ever be able to know is when we realize that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord, the respect and, and admiration of the Lord, the worship of God is where all knowledge begins. So in our chapter in verse number 11, Moses is hinting at this as well as he asks a question. And then he answers that very question, who knows this power of God? I can almost see Moses answering the question himself, almost with his head hanging down low, almost depressed. He says, we know it. All the Israelites know it. My sister Miriam, my brother Aaron, they know it. Even I, Moses, we all know. Then we get to verse number 12. Verse 12 is really the pivotal verse for the entire chapter. It's also here where we can understand how we can have satisfaction in God's anger. Verse number 12 starts with the word so. It's kind of a way of transition. I've already taught you all these different things. I've already said all of these different things. Therefore, we're going to take those things and we're going to apply them into your life. So verse number 12, follow along with me. It says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
We need to understand that Moses is not actually instructing us to count how many days that we've been alive. Right? That's kind of silly to even think about. Rather, Moses is instructing us to look backwards to learn from the past as to where we can begin to learn how to live for the future. Lord, teach us to, to learn from our mistakes from the past so that as we are growing old, we can be able to have a wise heart that will be able to honor you for the future. Lord, help me to see how you've been angry so that we can understand and know exactly what we have done to cause this particular discipline in our lives so that we may be wise for the future. Moses, the bottom line is this, is saying, allow me to learn to live for the future by learning how, how I've lived in the past. So there's two things to note here. First, our satisfaction here comes from looking backwards and learning. Now, when I'm back down south and I'm doing some counseling with folks, I never recommend them to look into the past. Because there's not a lot of good that will come back with looking in the, the past to see how terrible of a person you are and how much sin you actually loved. Not a lot of good that's going to come from that. But rather, when we look backwards, when we are instructed to look backwards, what we are looking for is the faithfulness of God. That's what we're looking at. We're seeing how God has been faithful to us. Doing it this way, though, is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. So so we're looking back and we're seeing how was God angry? Uh, Why was he angry? What caused this particular discipline to be able to come into your life? We can be satisfied when we see and we learn and then we we begin to apply so that way we can begin to change. This is part of the, the process of sanctification. And friends... When we are sanctified, when we are being made more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, you want to talk about having gobs and gobs of satisfaction? Looking more like Christ will bring that, most certainly. But secondly, on a very related note, Moses here is also telling us, with how, uh, telling us that how we live matters. This is the lost doctrine of the church. We already hinted on it just a moment ago. But the lost doctrine of the church is that of holy living. Too many folks, when they're sharing the gospel, as we're, we're teaching our children to evangelize, too many times when we're sharing the gospel, we forget the detail that God actually requires us to be holy. You can't just make, make a decision for Jesus and then still go out and live like the devil. It doesn't work that way. If we want to glorify God and to enjoy Him, if we want to be satisfied in the Lord, if we want to even begin to think about finding satisfaction in God's anger, then what we must do is live the way that He has commanded us to live. Beloved, if we are rejecting the way that God has designed us to be able to live, why are we surprised when we are downcast? Why are we surprised when we are Burdened? Why are we shocked if we are not living holy? Why are we shocked that we just feel empty? So teach us, Lord. Teach us from our mistakes so that we may be wise and further our satisfaction in you. Do you see how, how that works? So finally, this morning, we're going to move into our last heading. From verses 13 through 17. We're going to entitle this one, Satisfaction in God's Mercy. So, we had satisfaction in God's eternality, satisfaction in God's anger. Now we will find satisfaction in God's mercy. Verses 13 through 17 read this way. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and the glory of of their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now it's, it's within these final verses here as Moses is beginning to wrap up 
where we begin to see Moses really work out his own theology. And he starts by saying, return, O Lord. But what in the world is Moses asking God to return from or return to? His following question really helps us to see. As he asks, how long? I believe Moses really is pleading here with the Lord to have the people return to the state that they once were in. Lord, please return to no longer being angry with us. Lord, please have compassion on us. I'm pretty confident at some point in time, each one of us has had to ask these questions. How much longer, Lord? Please, Lord, have mercy. Then we get to verse number 14, which is honestly one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may, be, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. The greatest way that we can start our day is with the Lord. Amen? Why is that? Why is it the best way to start our day? Because we're a people who forgets. And we forget fast. There's a song in uh, my church, First Baptist at Weston. There's a song that we've been singing since we worked our way through this particular song entitled Psalm 90. It's a really catchy title for a song. But it takes a lot of these particular words from this particular chapter and we're actually singing Psalm 90. The song says in the chorus, it goes like this, when the sun comes up, satisfy us before the day has passed us by, before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us with your love. There's another song that, that I know that, that you sing. It goes something along the lines of Our hearts are prone to wander and to leave the God that we love. Friends, we forget. We forget fast. So what should we do? We should get out of bed early in the morning and bury our noses into the Word of God to hear from Him, to see Him, to hear His voice. We must be reminded of the promises of God. We must remind ourselves of the goodness of God. We must remind ourselves of the love of God. Why? Because we will forget. And just as soon as we stop reminding ourselves, what do we do? We're a people that have short-term memory that consistently needs reminding Reminding is something that I've had to do myself a lot this past year, year and a half or so. From the difficult health situation to mom, to the varying different difficulties that we've had down south in my church. And truly and honestly and transparently, just miss being here with you guys. I miss you terribly. You need to realize that the pastor is not immune from having to remind himself of the mercy of God. The pastor is not waking up beaming where I'm having to put a veil over my face like Moses did. It doesn't work that way. The pastor has to consistently remind himself. So let me get off of Psalm 90 for just a second. And let me ask you... How well are you taking care of your pastors? How well are you taking care of Brother Cody and Brother Justin? The men who labor for you day in and day out. Nights that are sleepless nights. Are you caring for your pastors? Because, beloved, understand this. While you are expecting us pastors, these two beloved men, as you're expecting them to care for you, 
are you also caring for them as well? As much as you need us, we need you just as, just as bad. <laughs> we sang just a moment ago, I'm so glad to be part of the family of God. Families need each other, do they not, brother? So as we're waiting on the Lord, trying to find the satisfaction, where do we immediately go? Well, we wake up early, we find ourselves in the Word of God. The Word of God is where we find the great shepherd, the great shepherd who brings us to the green pastures. We find God's goodness, His mercy, and His kindness here. So Lord, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Now Moses moves on now to verse number 15. And he says, Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. Now within charismatic circles, there's this thought that permeates their theology that our affliction is exclusive to our lack of faith. But if we look closely at verse number 15... It tells us who the afflictor is. So our charismatic friends has their theology all wrong. That's not the scope of our message here today. There's a lot that could be more that could be said about that. And you've got two wonderful brothers here that could be able to answer those questions. Because I'm going to get on the road. I'm going to leave a mess and let you guys take care of that. But looking closely at our text, Moses here teaches us that when we walk through suffering, it's God who's afflicting us. The question must be asked, why? Why would God do such a thing? Remember, the Israelites, including Moses himself, have all continually disobeyed God and disregarded His word. Therefore, the Lord has now begun to discipline these people. Now, before our minds begin to get out of whack and we begin to think, okay, i got a splinter in my finger, God's disciplining me for something... That would, that would really lead to bad theology and really would leave out the theology of Genesis chapter number 3, realizing that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where the creation is groaning as if it's in child pain, waiting for the return of the Lord to set all things back. So the affliction that we're that we might be walking through certainly could be God's discipline, but it could also be a way of God using that particular affliction to sanctify you, to, to make you more like Jesus. It's a fine line, but it's a, with a correct understanding. We could be able to walk that fine line correctly, understanding how this all works. So Moses says, make us glad when you have afflicted us. Make us glad, friends. That's a hard thing to grasp, is it not? Because I know that you've walked through suffering. I've been with you guys. I've been in this church for 30 years. I know you. You have walked through suffering. Moses says, make us glad as we walk through it. It's a grace of God when we have this understanding It's a grace of God to understand that it is God who is allowing us to walk through the suffering. And that we can be able to have satisfaction through this proper understanding. Wait a second, Brian. Did I understand you right to say that it is a grace of God to be able to understand this? Yes, beloved, it is a grace of God to realize this and to understand this. Because when we believe and we understand that nothing is out of the reach of God... When, when we can understand that He is in control when legitimately everything in our life is running out of control. Friends, when we believe the Lord has it all, there's satisfaction that can be found there. In our final two verses here, Moses is asking the Lord to bless their work. 
Uh, We need not forget that Moses was the shepherd leader of these people. He's praying that God would continue in the the lives of the Israelites. He's asking the the Lord to establish the work of their hands, not not the physical hands that, that the Lord is to be establishing, but rather the work of their hearts. Lord, we're working heartily unto you. Please establish our hands. Help us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's how Moses wraps up this entire chapter. Help us to live for you and you alone. So concluding our time here together today. Do you remember the answer to the catechism that I asked earlier? What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Remember, our satisfaction is in direct connection to our glorifying God. So if we are not glorifying God, we will not be satisfied in God. It might be somewhat difficult to pinpoint exactly where I'm not satisfied in God. But upon a thorough examination, it'll present itself quite clearly. Take, for example, if you're having a problem at home with your spouse or with a wayward child, there might be bickering, there might be fighting, there might be arguing... There might be lying, there might be disobedience, there might be disrespectfulness. But if my soul is thoroughly troubled by these things, then I need to reevaluate and re-examine a few things. I need to re-examine where I am truly trying to find my satisfaction and what I'm trying to find my satisfaction in. If I'm trying to find satisfaction in my spouse who isn't living up to exactly what I want them to be, or if I'm trying to find satisfaction in behavior modifications with my children, then I have lost sight. I'm not saying that we won't be burdened over these particular things. I'm not saying that at all, because we will be. What I am saying, though, is which situation is going to bring about the satisfaction that my heart longs for the most. Of course, I want a spouse that loves the Lord more than they love me. Of course, I want children that are going to obey above all things. But my ultimate satisfaction must be in the fact that Jesus Christ obeyed for me. You see how that works. No, all this is about where I'm finding my satisfaction. But let's hone back in on verse number 12 for just a moment. And we're going to be able to see how I can find satisfaction in how I live. What about practically living out verse number 12? Teach us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. Realizing in this particular verse... That this is our sanctification process, our process of being made more into the likeness of Jesus. If we come to this understanding, if if we are not actively living God's way, then we will certainly not be satisfied. It's an impossibility. If we're not actively working to put off the old man, put off worldly and fleshly desires, then there is going to be zero satisfaction in the Lord. The Lord demands that we put on godly living, righteousness, holy living. Living in the flesh will bring temporary happiness, but sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Always. Therefore, I must live for the future by how I'm learning from what I've done in the past. And this is hard work, beloved, is it not? But the scriptures consistently exhort us. The scriptures consistently command us to not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of my mind. How do we renew our minds, beloved? With this right here. When the sea billows roll and the waves crash over me, And I have not been satisfied in the Lord. 
things will not end very pretty. They will not. So what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our satisfaction is in direct proportion to, the, to our glorifying God. So if we aren't satisfied, then check. Where's the disconnect? Where am I not glorifying God? There's an old cricket player who turned missionary named C.T. Studd. He wrote a very famous poem. Let me read just an excerpt. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When our lives are totally reflective of the glory of God, realizing that my frail and my brief life will soon be passed, when I realize that only what I do for Christ will last, and I begin to live like it, there will be no greater satisfaction. So with the Spirit's help today, may we be satisfied in God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and how your word helps us to fully understand how we can have this satisfaction. By knowing you, by glorifying you. Father, I ask that you help us to do just that. Help us, Lord, to find our ultimate satisfaction in the God of the Bible. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to serve you. And Lord, if we believe these things, God, help us to act like it. Father, we do love you. We ask these things through your son's name. Amen.